Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. Uh, as Jago said, my name is Tim. And uh, we're reading this morning as we continue in our series in 2 Corinthians, which Jamie began last week. And our reading is from the uh, first chapter of 2 Corinthians. Uh, it's going to come up on the screen, but if you want it, uh, say on your phone or in a Bible, we're starting at verse 12. So let's read this together. Now, this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. For we do not write to you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that as you've, underst as you've understood in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to let you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I've intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silas, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word to us, and thank you that you speak. And we ask now that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us, even as I speak now, God. Give us open ears and open hearts to hear what you have to say. Amen. Amen. Well, we this week, we've begun in earnest planning for Christmas at HTC. And we're very excited that even under the current restrictions, we're going to be able to hold carol concerts where we get to proclaim the true message and the true meaning of Christmas. Get excited, people. You know, get ready to invite your friends, get ready to bring people on. What an important year to proclaim peace on earth and goodwill to all mankind. But maybe like making your own plans, trying to plan for things at the moment at church, in particular trying to plan Christmas, it's a bit like trying to plan a route from a map in the dark with a blindfold on. You know, how on earth do you plan when you don't know what is coming up? What on earth do you do when things aren't certain? And what do you do when you have to change your plans? What do you do when the government changes their plans? What do you do when life is yes, yes, and no, no, all at the same time? See, our passage today that I've just read is all about changing plans. It's all about changing travel plans. You see, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the letter, along with Silas and Timothy, after God met him and changed his life, he began traveling all over the known world, preaching the gospel and planting churches. And one of the places he ended up was a place called Corinth. And he stayed there for about 18 months. Um, you know, he loved these people. He'd spent this time with them. And then he went on his way. But at some point, he'd obviously planned to revisit them um, and that's part of what is we see in our letter. 
he um, made plans to revisit them. And in fact, he planned to see them twice. We see this in verse 15. Paul writes, because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Paul says, I plan to see you twice so that you might be doubly blessed by God. But something changed. Something changed and he didn't return. We don't know what it is from the text, but we know it's serious. In verse 23, we see this. I call God as my witness and I stake my life on it that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. It was in order to spare you, he says, that I did not return to Corinth. Paul knew that the best thing for these people was to not see them again, for whatever reason. So he changes his plans. He changes his travel plans. Are you one of those people who likes to talk about travel plans? My dad, you know, if you give him half the chance, if I'm going to come down to Cornwall to see them, he wants to talk about the route. He'll talk, talk about me the route on the way there and on the way back. You know, when I come into the house, how I eat him. M5, M4, A30. Mm, yeah, brilliant. Mm, good. Do you know anyone like that? Are you like that? You know, some people love it. Why do Paul's plans matter? Why is he talking about this? Why is he talking about Macedonia and being sent on? Well, it's because Paul's having to defend himself from his change of plans. After he left, he'd planted this church, 18 months of teaching and encouraging and exhorting and, and leading. After he left, people were coming in and undermining his ministry. And they were saying, Paul isn't trustworthy because of his change of plans. This thing he planned to do, well, he hasn't done it. How can you trust him? They're, they're false teachers who came in, and they might be saying these kind of questions. You know, how can Paul be living and working by the Spirit if Paul can't follow through with his plans? The Spirit can't possibly be at work in the great Paul if he says one thing and he does another. This guy is no apostle. That's the accusation they're making. Paul would come and visit you if he really cared about you. And it's those sort of accusations that deeply motivate Paul to write, A, write this letter, but also to write our section today. He is having to defend himself and his change of plans. Paul does three things in his defense. Firstly, Paul appeals to his own conduct. He says, verse 12, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. He says, despite our change of plans, we know that we've acted with integrity. We know that we have sincerity. And because we've relied not on worldly wisdom, but on the heavenly resources of God's grace, you can trust us. Since we rely on God, you can rely on us. So he appeals to his own conduct. But then also, he appeals to his, God's own character. In his defense, he writes about God's character. Verse 18, as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. He says, you can trust us in the uncertainty, even as we've changed, because just as God is faithful to you, so we are faithful to you. And this is the third and final part of Paul's defense of himself. He appeals to their message that they've preached among them. Verse 19, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. Now, what does he mean there? What does he say? It's not been yes and no, it's been yes. He's saying just as Jesus is consistent towards you and the message of Jesus is consistent, so we are consistent towards you. Not yes and no at the same time, but yes 
for your joy, for your good. Paul loves this church. And he, say, he writes them to say, even though my plans have changed, you can trust me because you can trust God. Because God is not yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. In uncertainty, he says, you can trust God's promises. Even when things are uncertain, even when plans change, even when things go wrong. What do you like when things go wrong? What do you like under change of plans? Let me tell you a remarkable true story. This happened to a friend of a friend recently. A friend of a friend offered to uh, dog sit for two weeks. And she took a family's dog, an Alsatian, and she looked after it for two weeks. Now, tragically, a week into that, the dog died. And she came down to the next morning to her kitchen and found this poor dog dead. And she called up the family. And, of course, the family are absolutely distraught. What are we doing? What are we, what's going to happen? They're so sad. But they, they say, well, look, you need to either take it to the vet or have the vet come and take the dog away. So she calls up the vets. And they offer, yeah, they say, don't worry, we'll come and collect the dog. But unfortunately, it was going to cost a lot of money. It was going to cost something like 250 pounds. So she decides to take the dog herself to the vets in a wheelie suitcase across London. Now, Alsatians are rather big. And in this case, they're rather heavy. So she's struggling away. She's got it on the tube. She's got it down the steps. She's got it on the carriage. She comes to the other end. And she comes to some steps, and she thinks, goodness me, this, I mean, this dog is really heavy. So she starts trying to lift the dog up the stairs, and um, a kind stranger sees her and offers to help. And, um, and that's very kind, isn't it? And, you know, he starts picking up and says, goodness me, this is heavy. What's in this? And in that moment, for whatever reason, she feels like she can't say it's a dead dog. So she says, uh, it's my boyfriend's uh, DJ Dex, like a musical thing. He says, okay. And anyway, kindly, he takes the dog to the top of the stairs and then promptly runs off with the suitcase. What do you do? Can you imagine that poor guy thinking he's stolen something worth really valuable? Opens it up. It's a dog. And then what do you do if you're that poor woman? I'm sorry, not only has your dog died, it's been stolen because I was taking it myself. I mean, of course, that is one way to get rid of the body. What would you do in that situation? What on earth do you do when things go wrong? What do you like under pressure? Imagine that phone call. Imagine what you'd say. What on earth would that be like? Now, unfortunately, the problem with telling that story is that might be the most memorable thing I say today, and that's all you'll go away talking about. What did Tim talk about today? Something to do with a dead dog. But let's just apply it. What are you like when the government says zone two, uh, tier two restrictions are coming in? What have you been like this year as things have changed? What have you been like as your life has changed? What have you been like when there's been uncertainty about the future? How has that been? What has it been like when plans have changed? Paul describes this perfectly, I think. In verse 17, he writes this. Do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? Has 2020 not surely been the year of yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? Where we can only see in part, we only know a little bit, and we cannot see what's possibly coming up. 
yes, yes, and no, no. As our plans change, as the government's plans change, as we need to respond where we cannot see what will come up in the future. And that can be a very challenging place to be, can't it? Uncertainty can be a very challenging place to be. But we have the same promise that Paul made to the Corinthians for us. Look at what Paul wrote in verse 21. He says, Now it is God who makes us stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. We have this promise. God makes us stand firm in Christ. Even when we don't know what we'll face, even when we can't see the future, God promises to establish us in him, whatever the season of our lives. And just look what standing firm means. Just look what God does for us when we believe in him. We see that he anoints us. We see that he sets his seal of ownership on us. And he puts his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. What do those things mean? Well, to say God anoints us means that he sets us apart. He makes us holy because we've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross. What does it mean to say that God has set a seal of ownership on us? Well, it means that God has marked us out as his. And God adopts us into his family and says, you are my son, you are my daughter, you belong to me. And I put my mark of ownership on you. What does it mean to say that God has put his, uh, this, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come? That means that as God makes us stand firm, he, he puts his Holy Spirit in us as a down payment for what we will receive one day in full. You see, we have an inheritance in, in Jesus. We have the promise of eternal life with God forever. And we receive a foretaste of that now in the Holy Spirit. And when we understand, when we um, trust in Jesus, this is exactly what we receive. When we put our faith in him, when we put our yes in him, this is what God promises us. And he says, whatever the season of life, I will make you stand firm in me. And when we understand this, we begin to see that it changes the way that we relate to our past, our present, and our future. You see, the promise of anointing means we can look at our past and know that our sins are totally forgiven. The promise of God's seal of ownership is that our means our identity is totally secure in the present because we are God's. The promise of the Holy Spirit means we can look at the future and we can know with total certainty our destination. God makes us stand firm in him. He forgives our past, he adopts us for the present, and he fills us for the future. And when we know this, when we begin to understand it, whatever happens, even in 2020, even in lockdown, even in uncertainty, even when plans change, we can stand firm in God's strength because we know that he has our past, our present, and our future totally secure in him. Paul says, now it is God who makes us stand firm in Christ. And just as Paul said, despite my changing plans, God makes us stand firm. So God would say to us today, despite your changing plans, despite uncertainty, despite even if you don't know what is to come, I make you stand firm in me. I make you stand firm in me. And God promises that to us. Now, how can we trust that promise? How can we trust him? This year, despite obviously challenges of lockdown and living alone and that sort of thing, um, totally unrelated to COVID, my dad's been fairly unwell. And, you know, he's a fairly healthy guy, loves sport and being active. And he's got a series of things wrong with his gut. And he has, he's had this episode of really intense pain 
like had to be hospitalized. It's just awful. Um, and there, of course, is the, um, for me at least, there's the, just the thing of knowing my dad is really suffering. Like that's pretty horrible. You know, it actually happened this week as well. You know, to know dad that's had to go to the hospital, he's had to have these drugs, and it just absolutely wipes him out, and it's, it's, you know, it's pretty horrible. There's that. And then for a while, there was the uncertainty of not knowing what was wrong. You know, there's the uncertainty of not knowing what the diagnosis was. And of course, now there is the uncertainty of not knowing what's to come. You know, will this be sorted out? And some of us, you know, there's that phrase, um, no news is good news. A lot of us might like to say, actually, no, 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 no. I'd like to know the news. You know, no news is good news. No, well, actually, no, even if it's going to be bad news, I'd rather know because then I at least know what I'm facing. And I wonder if it's a bit like that with us at the moment. We'd rather know what's coming up. It's not no news is good news. Actually, we'd like to know what is happening. I wonder what you've faced this year. I know people in this church who face the instability of unemployment. I know people who've had to endlessly cancel and replan their weddings. I know people who don't know what will happen with their children. I know people facing isolation with no end in sight. I know people who are struggling to work every day from home and not leaving their room. And I know for some of us, there isn't anything specifically wrong, but there's just the general challenge of the question of what next? What now? What's going to happen? And it's in those times that it can be hardest to trust God, can't it? Despite the promise of God saying, yeah, I'll make you stand firm in me. So how can we have certainty? How can we trust what God has said to us? Well, it's the same thing that Paul said to the Corinthians. We see this in verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. This verse should give us such hope. This means that we can trust all God's promises because they have all been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There is nothing uncertain about God because Christ is the resounding yes to each and every one of God's promises. This means we can trust the promises of the word of God. When we read in this passage that God has anointed us and set a seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts, we can trust that because God has promised to save and redeem his people and he has come and delivered on that promise in Jesus Christ. You know, whenever we read something like that in scripture and we're asking ourselves, you know, God, are you going to do this? God is saying, yes, I already have in Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, Jacob preached, you know, if God is for us, who can be against us? And if we're finding ourselves asking, God, is that true? God says, yes, in Jesus Christ. And we can hold on to that when things are uncertain. You can trust what God has said. You can trust what God has promised because he has already said yes to you, yes to me, yes to us in Jesus Christ. Every sinner who comes to God in Christ, finds God coming to them in Christ. Every sinner who comes to God in Christ with their needs, find God coming to Christ, God coming to them in Christ with all his promises. When a sinful person meets the holy God in Christ, what they hear is yes. God, do you love me? Yes. God, will you forgive me? Yes. God, will you accept me? Yes. Yes. God, will you help me change? Yes. Will you give me the power to serve you? Yes. Will you keep me? Yes. Will you show me your glory? Yes, says God in Christ. 
all the promises of God, all the blessing in the heavenly places that we receive are sure and certain because they are yes in Christ Jesus. And God says, I promise to make you stand firm. And I've already said yes to that promise because I've sent my son for you and for me. God's yes is fulfilled and secured forever in Jesus Christ. God makes us stand firm in him and he says yes to us. Amen? Amen. And now the call to us is, will we say yes to God? God says yes to us and will we say yes to him? Verse 20. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That's what the song is about. And the song we sang just before this, all your promises are yes and amen. The first bit is about God. The amen is about us. And amen means saying yes. It means agreeing. It means literally in prayer, so be it. And God's people are those who have said yes to all that God has promised. So will you say yes to God again today? Will you say yes to him? Will you trust him? Paul writes this in verse 24. He said, it is by faith that you stand firm. That's what he's talking about here with saying yes and saying amen. It's about faith. It's about trusting God. Now, he's just said it's God that makes us stand firm. Is he contradicting himself because he's saying it's by faith you stand firm? Absolutely not. It's just the practical outworking of what it means to say that God says yes to us and throw through us, throw through Christ, we speak the amen back to God. God says yes to us, and then in faith and in trust, we say yes back to him. We say, God, I take hold of your promises. I claim them for my life. I trust in the power of Jesus Christ. I trust in your promise, and I say amen and yes to him. And I want to encourage you today that in uncertainty, on this weekend, we need to say yes again to God. Yes, I trust you. Yes, I trust your promises for me, that even now, you make me stand firm. Even now. And I encourage you to commit this um, promise to mind, that no matter how many promises God has made, they're yes in Christ. Commit that to your mind. And when you don't know what to do, and when you don't want to pray, repeat that promise and then say amen to it. Proclaim it over your life and literally put that um, thing into practice as you say yes to God. And God says, even in uncertainty, even as plans change, you can trust me in 2020 and 2021 and I'll make you stand firm in me. Will you say yes to God?